Hey everybody, and welcome to Views on View. I'm Ben Hong, Senior Front-End Engineer at GitLab. And today for our guest, we have Raymond Camden. Raymond, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm Ray. I work for an extremely large financial company that's really antsy about me saying I work for them. But I have been doing web development since about 93 or so. Uh, there were computers back then, actually. Uh, <laughs> so I remember uh, Netscape Navigator and all that. I've uh, been in my career, a lot of back-end work, a lot of front-end work, and now primarily front-end, uh, trying to do a lot of JavaScript in general, and a, a bit of a Star Wars fan. Very cool, very cool. Hey folks, I just want to let you know quickly about Netlify. Netlify is a really cool system for hosting what are traditionally known as static sites. However, the real benefit that I've been finding is that I don't have to mess with a back end. I can just set things up. I build the website out. I've been using a system called 11DJS and you just deploy it. And then anything that you have that you want to do, you can do on the front end. So if you want to pull in some kind of database with Firebase or something else, if you want to collect form data, Netlify provides all kinds of services that make it easy to do all that stuff. If you're trying to do serverless, they have a really, really neat serverless setup that will allow you to deploy your websites without having to deploy a backend and it'll do some of the work for you. I just, I just love it. So if you're looking for a way that you can actually deploy a website that only has front-end technology in it, gives you all the tools that you typically need for the back-end without having to actually program the back-end, then give them a try. Go check them out at Netlify.com. Um, yeah, so why don't we get started? Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with Vue and all that? Absolutely. Uh, so been doing JavaScript for probably since day one, and I'm almost good at it, uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> In terms of like frameworks, like I used jQuery for a very long time, but uh, mm -hmm. Angular was the first framework I picked up primarily because Ionic used it and I was a big Ionic fan. And I liked Angular. Um, mm -hmm. If that sounds a bit strained, it's because <laughs> it was a <laughs> strain. Like it definitely, you know, it, it was good in terms of moving past one single page and using jQuery for enhancement and building an application with a capital A. It helped. I wasn't <laughs> great, but I was able to use it. And yeah, they were migrating from like version one to like version, we don't care, we'll just make up numbers. And so we'll <laughs> honestly, I got turned off. You know, I've, I've been doing developer experience and relations for a long time. So I'm like, I'm very, like very focused on documentation and changing and what that means to a user. And I really felt like the Angular people kind of, poo-pooed the whole thing. Like, oh, don't worry about version numbers. It's a simple change and we're changing every aspect of it, but it's no big deal. And to me, it was a, it was a, it was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, so I, I got a bit turned off, looked at Vue and was just totally impressed by how easy it was to use. And the other thing I like about it a lot is that uh, I feel like the other frameworks really want you to build applications. And I feel, mm -hmm. like, I feel like people talk about apps all the time and no one talks about adding interactivity to a page. Like, oh, that's too mm -hmm. simple to use, mm -hmm. or that's for the intro level of JS, jQuery, noobs, or whatever. And I, I was still doing a lot of that. I was still doing simple interactions or adding a bit of interactivity. And the fact that you supported that was a huge, huge thing for me, along with supporting applications as well. Wow, yeah, that's a great point. I, um, yeah, especially in the today where everything is single page applications, it's easy to forget about how important it is to that sort of 
um, progressive enhancement mm-hmm. um, for sites like that that aren't ready to necessarily make the uh, full jump. That's really cool. And so um, you mentioned you've worked with Angular. So have you worked with React at all or just like on the cursory glance? <laughs> I Yeah, a cursory glance. And so far, I'm not a fan, but that's uh-huh. totally not fair. Like I need to build something and that's sure. like part of my plan for this year. And I still have like eight months left is to give it. <laughs> I may yeah. wait until like December <laughs> to actually do that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. If you're looking to get into that, I think uh, West Boss has a pretty great intro course to that that I totally recommend. But okay, that's pretty great. So you know, for those that don't know, Raymond actually has a fantastic blog that sort of talks about various topics. Um, but his most recent post, he's talking about. Um, well, actually, let's talk about the series first. Uh, the view components for the win. Can you tell us a little bit about that series that you just started? Yeah. So uh, I was not aware of like the ecosystem around Vue when I was learning it and uh-huh. was like really surprised to see a lot of cool things out there. And I guess it's just like jQuery plugins. There were like a million jQuery plugins and <laughs> I'm finding a million or so Vue components. And uh, as just as a way to like kind of help me find content to write about, I'm looking for cool things such as show and uh, get people's attention towards. And my, my idea was about two or three a month. I've not quite hit that pace. Uh-huh. But th- that's that's the idea anyway. Yeah, cool. So I noticed, um, that I think the, the two that I've seen are vGauge and Toasted. Can you talk a little bit about why you chose those and what's nice about them? Because I've never heard of them myself. Yeah, uh, both are simple UI components. They could be like dropped into any existing application. vGauge is like the speedometer. Uh, type okay. effect. So great for a dashboard, great for a manager who wants to you know, see something nice and simple, really handles animations well. So if you have something where uh, data is changing every minute or whatever, you can kind of nicely animate that with like, just by changing the uh, data. Like there's no like work at all to handle the animation, it's just built in. Mm-hmm. And then toast it again, just for toast notifications. Uh, there's probably a thousand more than just the one I showed. Uh, but it was the first one. It was nice. It was a good, simple example. Yeah. And so for those um, listening, so what, what is a toasted notification for those that don't like know what that is? Yeah. And that, that, that's a good point. So this is the notification that kind of pops up on top of your, of your view, but it's typically on the upper right-hand corner or, or upper left-hand corner on a mobile device that maybe just like the bottom and centered. And it's just letting you know that something happened and it typically fades away on its own. So would a good example of that be like um, if it's like fetching something and it's like querying data or what other examples have you used it for that you commonly see that for? If you have a dashboard and are showing data and you Mm -hmm. don't want to just change the data because a person may be thinking about it, but you want to let the user know that new data is available, uh, you can use a toast notification to say uh, new data available, click refresh. And then that user could then prompt, uh, could hit the button to do that manually. Okay. Very cool. Awesome. And then, so your most recent post uh, was about handling errors in Vue.js. So, you know, a lot of times we don't think about this sort of stuff. Like we're just focused on building things. And I thought it was really fascinating how you basically dive into error handling in Vue.js. So kind of what got you interested in writing about it? And you can obviously talk a little bit about it for those that haven't read it. Sure. Uh, So I build a lot of dumb demos. Uh, I don't build a lot of apps. So like okay. 90% of my blog posts are, here's like one simple feature that I want to test. Mm-hmm. And when I do that one simple feature, I'm not building a complete application. So I'm not running unit tests. I'm not uh, doing a GitHub repo. I'm, you know, I'm not doing the proper things for a real 
project per se. It's a small example. So I had just never looked at error handling ever. Well, I should say ever. <laughs> did not look at it in terms of Vue.js. So I literally had no idea. So I went into it and part of the way I learned is to actually, you know, write examples of it and break things and see how it works. Yeah. And, uh, for the most part, uh, everything kind of just kind of clicked and made sense. There were some things that I'm trying to word this the best way. So there were some errors that would throw proper errors and some that would throw warnings and it wasn't necessarily always clear what was what. So using oh. bracket, bracket name where name was never defined, won't mm-hmm. throw a console error. It doesn't necessarily like break everything versus a click handler that does have an error will throw an error. So I'm not necessarily sure if that made the best sense, but I tested different scenarios like that to see how they would respond. And mm-hmm. uh, when you did add the error handling, what was sent in and so <laughs> forth. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, I'm going through the post right now and all sorts of things you've mentioned, like there's like a render error as well, which it seems yeah. like it's, it's as specific to Vue. Yeah, uh, as, as far as I know, I mean, I'm only using Vue now. I don't know. So I know Vue sure. does like borrow some things from React or like yeah. heard. So I don't know if this is like a React thing as well. Fair enough. Yeah, this is pretty great. I was going through these and didn't realize there's all these really fancy ways of handling errors um, cool. as well as how you output them. <laughs> Definitely great for anyone interested in, I think, would you say like library authors who are writing these things to help warn their users of things that they might be doing incorrectly? Yeah, that I, again, so like I said in the blog post, like that was my impression of it. Yeah. I do think the docs uh, could be a bit more clear in terms of like where they think this would be used in the real world. Sure. Yeah, and you know, Raymond, feel, please feel free. We're always looking for contributions. So if you want to add, uh, you know, add your name to the view docs, we would be happy to have that contribution. So I have contributed to the uh, cookbook actually. So that's awesome. Yeah, very nice. Cool. So yeah, hopefully we'll. Uh, I think the team will reach out to you about that then, because it definitely seems like a good thing to have documented well, so people can use that um, properly. Okay. Cool. So. I've also seen some of your work as well on like the native script blog and those sort of things. Do you want to talk a little bit about your background with that? Sure. Um, I started mobile development back with Flex Mobile, uh, which is probably six years old or so, back when Adobe was hell-bent on getting Flash on the iPhone. <laughs> and it was a big, giant fight and all that. And So like, like Flex Mobile was their way of doing it. Did not spend a long time with Flex Mobile. Um, <laughs> About the same time, Adobe had purchased the PhoneGap company. Yeah. So I started looking at PhoneGap. And for folks who don't know, PhoneGap basically is like a native shell where the app is a, is a web view. So when you build a mobile app, everything is HTML, CSS, JavaScript. And they have a JavaScript hook into native API. So you can okay. use JavaScript to write to the phone's file system, to work with contacts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a great demo on that you can ask me about later. <laughs> One of the interesting things about PhoneGap is that like, their whole idea is that like, right now, well, back then, mobile on phone was a bit subpar, and they were trying to bridge the gap, get it, <laughs> between native and web, and they wanted to not exist. And what we've seen in the last couple of years is that mobile and web has really, really gotten good, definitely on Android. Yeah. Um, on the fruit company phone, not quite so much. <laughs> I like so, the company phone. Yeah. So I, I spent a long time working with Cordova. I wrote a book on it. I uh, did a crap ton of blog posts. And just as it has become less and less necessary and the web has gotten better and better, 
uh, I've just kind of moved away from it. NativeScript takes a different approach where it's not just a web view. It's a 100% native application where essentially you're using JavaScript for logic and you're using a XML kind of base language to handle layout. So okay. like, for example, I could say stack layout. So ABC uh, and a vertical list and they do the proper Android UI element and the proper iOS element uh, based on the platform. And it's pretty interesting. Um, yeah. And they, they support Angular, but they also support Vue and that's a bit recent. Yes. So I've been playing with that and it works well for the most part. There is kind of a kind of big mental discontinuity in terms of the UI. Like you see like, oh, we have our own UI language. And I'm like, oh yeah, cool. I know HTML, no problem. No, no, no. It's like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's totally not bad. It's a, it's a great, it's a great thing, but it's a yes. new thing that if you underestimate uh, kind of the mental gymnastics you have to go in terms of reorganizing your brain, on their sure. framework, you'll be kicked in the ass. So, so yeah. I guess to give some people context who aren't <laughs> familiar with um, like sort of web mobile hybrid development, um, when you, you mentioned a web view earlier for like PhoneGap, is it basically like um, it, it, it looks like a mobile app, but it's really just like a web page that's like a wrapper? Is that what that means? Yeah, so the original idea was that like you were building a mobile application. You were uh, building like PokeGo or whatever. Yeah. Um, and maybe you wanted to do some documentation. So HTML is really good documentation. So mobile frameworks have supported, hey, just put a browser like right here and I could put HTML for whatever. So PhoneGap said, you know, instead of just having a little side thing for navigation, like your entire application is that web view. So kind of like an iframe, right, on the phone? Yeah, yeah, like 100% <laughs> iframe. And it worked well. And again, it kind of, it, it did things, you know, three or four years ago that you could not do on mobile web. You couldn't access contacts. You couldn't access the file system. Mm -hmm. uh, there were so many things that you could not do that mostly you can do nowadays. So again, it's not something that is like dead, but it's something that is on the way out. And that's a good thing. And that was kind of their mission statement. They wanted to see mobile web get to the point where they weren't necessary anymore. Wow. Okay. And so like, you know, for those listening, uh, so I have a little bit of background with uh, React Native, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I think is, has a similar approach to what you were mentioning as far as native script, right? Um, and so can you tell them what's, the, what's, so from the web view version from like PhoneGap, how is native scripts, or sorry, I think you mentioned this a little bit, if you could just describe a little bit more, why is that different than like the, the iframe way? So I definitely don't get the engineering load level aspects yeah, sure. of it. So like, as opposed to running in a web view where you may have to mimic uh, device UI or you may have to like try to say, you know, Android, put the menu up here on top or whatever. This is actually using the native UI elements. So like a button is a native Android or native iOS button. So okay. you, you, get, you don't have to worry about users being confused. I don't necessarily believe that's a big, huge deal. Mm -hmm. Like one of the examples people used to bring up that was against Cordova was that, oh, on iOS, the, the menu bar is always on top. On Android, it's always on bottom. I'm making that up because I don't remember. But I, I vaguely remember that too. Yeah, like I can't imagine a user saying, wow, I can't find the menu. Like <laughs> on this four inch piece of glass, because the menu's not the bottom, I can't use the app now because it's on top. Right. I never really believed that was a huge big deal. At the same time, if it is just kind of naturally put by the uh, the framework, then yeah. that's a plus one, a small plus one. 
Yeah. So does that mean that um, that native script transpiles into like, you know, a sort of Swift Objective-C and then they have like a Kotlin build whenever you're sort of building your app? As far as I know. Okay. I don't touch that crap. No, never. <laughs> <laughs> but it does, like, like React Native, you, you, you do get the Android version, the iOS version, just yeah. what you have. And I know uh, Native Script has really good support for, oh, I need something a bit different on, on iOS. They uh-huh. make it really easy to do. Okay. To, to handle the uh, one-offs or the differences between Android and iOS. Right. And so earlier you were mentioning that, um, you know, while we know like HTML and stuff, like the actual templating as far as like the XML language is quite a, 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 quite a change from what we're used to, right, in HTML, right? It's basically a custom XML language that you have to yeah. relearn. So do you have some examples for listeners as far as like um, how that might map in their head? No, because it doesn't map. Not, it doesn't not map. It, 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 yeah. I pretty much had to like force myself to stop thinking web and start thinking native. Like, and, and, and one more example of that is even though JavaScript is supported, there's a uh-huh. difference between you know JavaScript syntax and like browser features. So IndexedDB for a client-side storage doesn't work in native script because uh-huh. that's like a browser feature, not a JavaScript feature. Yeah. Uh, they, they have great op- options and I blogged on it. There's definitely something there, but... Yeah, you know, I was like building a demo and just blah 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 plop. Oh wait, shit! Oh, pardon me. Oh wait, <laughs> like I can't rely on that, and that's yeah. a, not a fault at all in native script. Yeah. It's just things I wish were more apparent to me when I first started. Got it. So there is a there is a fundamental shift in thinking. Yeah. Because um, I know that with React Native, it was similar. Like you didn't have p tags anymore for text. You actually yeah. had like a text tag or. There were no buttons. It was like touchable interface without <laughs> opacity. Like these really long words that like, are really specific. Um, so yeah. yeah, I can definitely second the fact that you kind of need to reframe everything. Um, and speaking of layouts, so I know that in React Native, we use Flex in order to lay everything out. How does Native Script handle layouts in that regard? So it has the stack layout. I, I'm still kind of new to it. So to take this yeah, sure. with a solid. So they have a basic stack layout that will do okay. horizontal, uh, vertical. They have one for horizontal. They have a grid one for more precise, like upper corner, you know, columns and rows. Yeah. They support flex grid as well, okay. Uh, okay. which would allow you to take some of your web knowledge for you know, your CSS knowledge anyway. I barely know the CSS layout stuff. <laughs> when I do have to use it, it works great, but I'm, I'm yeah. definitely at MozDev Network to look at the docs. I'm definitely, and also have an absolute layout as well. So it's, you know, basic lists, grids, uh, flex, flex thingy as well, and possibly more that I'm forgetting. Got it. And so uh, we're giving a lot of love and attention to NativeScript, but I also have to ask, do you have any experience with, I think you mentioned this already, but Ionic? Yes. Can you so, talk a little bit to that? Yeah. Uh, so for like the four or five years that I was really big on Cordova, uh, Ionic was most of that. Uh, really, okay. really good uh, UI framework, UX framework. Very pretty, very nice. Essentially, like I never did anything in Cordova without Ionic. Still, oh, okay, got it. Still a very good project, still a great team and all that. It's just something that I have personally moved on from because I'm not yeah. doing much hybrid mobile dev anymore. Got it. Okay, actually, you mentioned Cordova. So Ionic is a continuation of the PhoneGap project then? Or, or how, do, how should the listeners view that? So Cordova would basically give you the native app with the web view, but did nothing else in terms of UI. So if you did like a button element, it would be like a web page with a button. 
the CSS wouldn't be great. It would be small and all that. So Ionic would, would make everything touching, uh, not touching it, but it'd make everything mobile friendly. It would handle, you know, making the padding and all that. It essentially make your apps look really, really nice without you having to worry about it. With also doing a bunch of UX stuff. So like the, the pull to refresh, uh-huh. uh, they had a way that made that like super, super easy to build. So Got it. UI, UX, basically kind of everything baked in along with uh, a lot of good utility stuff, simple things like when you submit an app, it needs like mm-hmm. 200 icons for like iPad, Retina, iPad, non-Retina and all that crap. Like they had a command line tool that would take a source image and just generate all of them for you. Whoa, yeah. that is mighty convenient. Yeah. Very this cool. One of my cats. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so how do you use NativeScript in your day-to-day? Is it just more for like fun projects that you're building or? Yeah, so for me, it's it's, it's fun projects. It's my, my nighttime weekend coding type things. Um, I, I did have like a client who like paid me to build the proof of concept which is yeah. really helpful. Uh, you're really motivated to learn something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so NativeScript has been around for, I think, two or three years. And I've always thought it was kind of cool. And whenever I do like my New Year's resolutions on my blog, technically wise, I would say, hey, this year I'm going to learn NativeScript. I, I just never did. They added view support late last year. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the client came in. So it was like a perfect storm in, term of, in terms of, of uh, opportunity. Yeah, so I do. I do have a real app, but it's kind of a very boring forms app <laughs> uh, that's not released. It's just for a client to uh, test with. Sure. I mean, they say ninety percent of our web work is basically form form inputs, right? <laughs> so, so my web work again, starting in like ninety three, ninety four, uh, yeah. began with form processing with Perl CGI scripts, wow. and it's basically been form processing every single day for years. <laughs> Yep, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Okay, so I guess moving on. So recently also you were featured in CSS Tricks on sort of making the move from jQuery to Vue. Can you talk a little about what inspired that article and sort of what sort of you go over in that? Sure, um, and so I'll definitely begin with the uh, same message I have in the article. Like uh, if jQuery is working for you and you're happy with it, then fine, like don't. Like there's a lot of people lately it's saying, hey, you should move on from jQuery, and you you definitely do not have to. But like I, I definitely have. So I wanted to talk about uh, the kind of thought process that went in in terms of this is how I did something in jQuery, this is how I did something in Vue, and like a great example of that. And this was like the only thing that really confused me about Vue at first okay. is that in jQuery, you just drop the library and you do whatever you want. I mean, it's whatever, like that DOM, that DOM, highlight, move, ship, you know, explode, whatever. Yeah. But like view with that concept of like you're specifying the DOM area that you're working with. It, uh, yeah, it's not that hard, but like, like, oh, I have to think about where I'm actually working. Okay. And I, I can only work inside there. That to me was like kind of the first speed bump. So I talk about that. I talk about how there's no Ajax built in. Okay. I do it by hand, which is not hard, but if yeah. you've only done jQuery, you may not be aware of options like fetch, for example. Mm-hmm. And then I talk about other stuff. I think the form validation. Yeah, I, I tried to focus on the things that I did a lot with in jQuery. Yeah. Yeah, this is pretty great. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. 
Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So you mentioned that obviously you came from a really big jQuery work. Is there like a story behind why you decided to move from jQuery to Vue? Mainly because I, I knew I was done with Angular and React, <laughs> React kind of looked icky to me. And Got again, it. I say that 100% not fair, not having given a fair shape, but it still it looked icky to me. So I'll, I'll say this too. Like um, I would go to multiple conferences per year and I would uh-huh. see the intro to Vue course and there'd be like five people in the room. Yeah, this was like maybe two years ago where like no one had heard of it and it was yep. like, like redheaded stepchild type thing. And <laughs> I, I finally went into one of those sessions and didn't like it. I was a bad yeah. presenter. Went to a second one and it clicked and like that was it for me. Well, we are very glad that you gave it a second try. <laughs> so earlier we were chatting about this. So um, currently you also have a project called a Coder Breaker. Can you talk a little bit about that and um, what you're doing, that project you're working on? Sure. So uh, I have a very, very old friend named Brian Rinaldi. And uh, I've known him for probably 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. And we're both like really big music people. Um, yeah. Uh, I have great taste. He has horrible taste. I like <laughs> to share music back and forth. And a couple months ago, he raised the idea of just making a newsletter, which you can yeah. do via MailChimp in like two seconds. Mm-hmm. So we did it. So basically the main idea is to pick new music, but we'll also pick like older stuff that we think is interesting. So we have a mix of new and a mix of old. And yeah, it comes out twice a month. Uh, I would love people to sign up. Website is codebreaker.rocks. I was kind of surprised to find that uh, .rocks is a TLD. And <laughs> it's not expensive. But um, yeah, if you like to be introduced to new music and see some weirder, older music as well, like for me, uh, like for the older stuff, um, I did a lot of video game picks uh, okay. because very like, cool. Like for a while, like before I had satellite radio, and I just had like regular boring terrestrial radio, which really <laughs> mostly like we have one good station in town. Yeah. Uh, but for a while, I just like I gave up on finding new music on the radio. I would only hear new music on like video games. Got it. So there's a lot of songs that I heard for the first time playing various uh, games. That's awesome. Very cool. Um, have you looked into using sort of Vue for any like game development or like, because uh, you mentioned that I think you do yeah. this, uh, it's more of like a personal project, right? When you use Vue. Can you talk about maybe some of the ways you use Vue on your day-to-day hobby, that kind of stuff? So I'm going to like laser focus on the game thing. So I, I'm very, very big into games. Uh, I did a lot of MUD programming in the 90s where MUD is like a multi-user dungeon. Think text-based games with multiple users. Okay. Yeah, you're way too young. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I'm thinking Dungeons and Dragons then, but text space, but you all sync up on a land room? No. Oh, God, no. Uh, (laughs) Even worse. Okay. Yeah. Could you explain a little bit for uh, for people? Have you heard of Zork? 
Everyone's yes, heard of Solar well, Ready Player One may have popularized that, but <laughs> yeah, so it's basically adventure where you type stuff. So, like instead of like using a game controller to go through a dungeon, you type "Go North" and pick okay. up stick and whatever. Okay. So, imagine that, but it's real time with multiple players. So, if you're fighting a monster, you can get helped by somebody else, and it's very social because you can chat and all that. But like one cool thing that they did, like most of these muds, there are different themes like fantasy, uh-huh. science fiction, and all that. A lot of these had this concept where when you got to a certain level, like you were done. But you could actually write programs for the mud. You could actually expand the universe, which is like, Whoa. yeah, like not something that you really see. Like Minecraft obviously allows you to build like from day one. But there's not like a game where like you say, hey, you played 100 hours, bam, now you could create. So I did a lot of like my best, like my most favorite programming on those platforms. So Very cool. these games in general, I think are pretty neat. There's two out right now, uh, A Dark Room, okay. which is pretty popular, and the whole, the uh, Paperclip Factory game. Oh, I think I heard about yeah, that one. That one is like insanely addictive, like up, almost would not like, say shared, but like, <laughs> like both of those are all like basic HTML. There's no graphics at all. So that, when you say programming games of view, that's the kind of stuff I think of. And that's something that I would like to do more of when I get a good idea. I haven't had a good idea, like cat demo related in a while. (laughs) Well, I imagine you'll make something with NativeScript too while you're at it too. (laughs) Uh, That's that's pretty great. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, Have you worked with any gaming libraries? Um, Because I know there are like, I think there's like what, PhaserJS and there's like, there are JavaScript libraries for game development. Have you worked with any of those at all? That's a lot of work, so no. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, no enough. Uh, Fair enough. Yeah, no. Okay, cool. Um, well, I'm definitely looking for. You'll have to let us know whenever you uh, release some games built with Vue. <laughs> sure. Share that with people. You mentioned that you had a road bump as far as like initially when you're moving that from jQuery to Vue, as far as like realizing you're playing with other areas. Were there any other challenges you had with Vue as you were learning it that uh, you might might be valuable to share with people? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, technically it's not part of Vue, but like Vuex at okay. first was That's really... That's fine. Yep. Um, Vuex was kind of a bit hard to grok. I mean, I, I, I think I get it now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think it's also one of those things where it, it solves a problem you may not have. And kind of recognizing that, hey, like, don't worry about this if you're not at the stage yet where you need it, would have been more helpful to me. I still struggle with Vue apps. So okay. I, because I do so much with like the Vue script tag uh, and like code. Uh, so really cool. I'm testing like filters in Vue. I can do that without building an app. I yeah, just sure. Can and do it. When it comes to doing like a complete application, even stuff like, oh, I struggled with how to do an API wrapper. So in Angular, that's like a uh, provider. It's kind right. of a bit rusty. But like, there's a real clear way. Like, If you're interacting with so-and-so's API, you make one file, you make it a provider, and like all your API wrapper methods are there, and then the rest of your Angular code uses that. I did not feel, and I still kind of, kind of struggle with the best way of doing that with Vue. I kind of get how to do it now. Like I make a file, I call it API.js or whatever. <laughs> I give it a nice name. Like I'm working in, uh, right now, I'm working on a Plex demo uh, that uses the Plex API for okay. uh, with media libraries. So I made a file called Plex.js. Yeah. And I'm using it within my components. 
but it's definitely not, it's not bad in any way, but I'm going a lot slower than I was when I was first learning uh, Vue. Yeah, that's a really great point. Let me let me jot that note down for um, the team. So, uh, so the provider, and so have you heard of? Um, there's a a renderless component pattern. Have you heard of that before? A bit. Yeah, I remember reading a blog entry on it, and like I was saying about UX, it felt like I wasn't ready for it yet. So yeah, I kind of took a step away. Got it. That might be an interesting pattern for you to look into um, because instead of like having a component that has a template, its job is only to provide data. So it basically sounds like the provider pattern that you're talking about from Angular. And so you would just create like, a, in your case, you were mentioning, uh, what was it? Um, what API? Plex. Plex, right? So you'd have like a Plex, Plex data.view component and then you could write all your logic in there. Mm-hmm. And then you would basically allow like other components to like talk to it, basically. Mm-hmm. That's something to look into, but... Um, well, yeah, I definitely have to talk to the docs team as far as um, maybe writing a bit more sort of like uh, guidance as far as that for people looking for a, like basically a path forward with how to do that. I think uh, you know the, the the CLI is nice, but like yeah. if your only experience with Vue is dropping a script tag in, which is a valid use of Vue, yeah. But the the first time you make an application, it's overwhelming. Like if you've never worked with any Node or any other scaffolding yeah. thing before, it's right. a lot. So have you played with Vue UI at all? A bit. Okay. Because yeah. that's usually like when I teach workshops, I try to introduce people to that first just so they know that there's not like, you know, you don't have to be so familiar with the command line. Like it's basically a web browser that you click through yeah. and just form input. So, um, but you're right. It, it is a lot to, to take in at once um, if, you, if you've been primarily using it as a script tag. Yeah. It's nothing wrong at all. It's yeah, just, sure. Just a lot. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we could do better as far as onboarding people with that. And so with Vuex in particular, were you introduced to that like out of the box? Like were people telling you to use that with all your applications? Like what was your sort of entry into Vuex? Because you mentioned that you had trouble at the beginning. Just like randomly seeing it. Like I remember seeing Vue Router and Vuex as being like the main things that you may use in a few applications. I never saw like like you had to use it, but it definitely felt like really important that <laughs> So what were some of the things about Vuex that sort of uh, gave you trouble? Because I think a lot of people can relate to that. Like everything, like the docs even begin by comparing it to a React thing. So like a React, oh. uh, and if you don't know React or have even heard of a store pattern, yeah, it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and again, if you're used to the script tag where basically it's one page that you never navigate from, then that whole idea of even like carrying data from one thing to another you just don't necessarily need per se. So as soon as I began to use more apps, which I'm still very new to, and all of a sudden I needed a way to just remember stuff that yeah. became more important. Got it. As someone now who's more familiar with Vuex, are you, um, how's your feeling about like the mutations and actions? Is that something that's clear to you or do you <laughs> find it muddy the water sometimes? Yeah, it it's clear, <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> So like, okay, one's synchronous and one's asynchronous, okay. Yes. I like, I would rather it just be one period and let me, let me, uh, like maybe say it has to always be async and if my logic happens to be synchronous, that's okay. I would like one particular, one way of setting data in and getting data out. 
Well, I think your wish will be granted because in the view 3.0, I think they're looking to make that change because a lot of people are have, like, they're sort of using actions and mutations in their own way. And um, I think they may have figured out a way to just put it all in one. So um, it would make all our lives a lot easier. I've heard that as well. I think it would be a good simplification. Yeah. Cool. Uh, how about your, you mentioned a view router. How was your learning experience with view router? Simple. Simple? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. yeah. yeah like, so again, like, like, being more used to the script tag, uh, uh-huh. the application I'm building right now, I had to add view router in and just remembering, I have to do like the, the thing that use or whatever, just remembering that I had to look it up first. But like outside of that, the actual usage is, yeah, uh, it's, it's easy. For. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's great, that's great feedback. <laughs> so you mentioned, uh, so with view apps, you said router and Vuex were the two you saw a lot between other ones. Were there anything else that like sticks out in your head right now as far as like, like, did you look into Vuetify, for example? Was that like a thing that was um, popped on your radar? When I was first beginning, no. Uh, now it is. I'm actually using it in the application um, I'm working with now. I like it. Uh, I'll typically, uh, when I present like my intro to Vue course, I'll use Bootstrap because okay. I love the Vue Bootstrap tags. When you compare them to like regular Bootstrap with the 500 <laughs> classes or so, it's a yeah. really, really good example. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty great. Okay, we'll have to mention. Can you drop the link to your the intro? You said you had a. Is that a course you teach online, or is that something you teach in person? I've given it at various conferences. I am doing it online uh, this okay. month, but it's not public yet. I know we can okay. say it. This is not like online where I can give you a link yet. Sure, that's totally fine. You know, whenever this episode is released, feel free to obviously Google uh, Raymond's site, and you can. Yeah. I imagine it'll be up by then. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. So very cool. Uh, let's see. Oh, I meant to ask this earlier in the mobile section, but um, do you have any recommendations for or resources for getting started with like you know web mobile development? Because I think a lot of people are interested, but you know it can be hard to figure out where to start. That's pretty broad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about let's start with uh, actually let's. I'm curious where you'll go with this. <laughs> All right. So for web development in general, certainly Moz DevNet is the best resource for learning about the web. Um, And it's my reference for everything. So like I have used the Fetch API a lot, but I'll still check the guide to remember how to do a form post, for example. For mobile friendly, um, I have always kind of cheated by like using Ionic because it just looked fine on on mobile. Uh, Native script view as well. It's mobile optimized, so it's, it's, it's done. So I have not had to do that by hand in a very, very long time. So okay. I'm always going to like find a UI framework that just kind of works. And are there resources for um, the mobile side in particular as far as getting started? Or do you recommend just diving into docs? For like mobile web or mobile app or... Yeah, I guess like the mobile app. I guess like sort of like the, the Ionic, because you mentioned Ionic and NativeScript as like the way to get into it. Like did you take a course or, or do you have a book, oh. you know? Uh, when I began with Ionic, it was just online. So I just read okay. the docs and I docs, built a right. lot of demos. Um, I just wrote example after example after example. But there are a crap ton of courses now. I have one on uh, uh, Linda, I believe, okay. LinkedIn somewhere. It's a bit old now, so I'm not, <laughs> definitely not selling it because it's, it's out of date. Uh, but there's a lot of online courses for Ionic. NativeScript in general, uh, I believe nativescripting.com. Okay. I can actually, type <laughs> native scripting is yes. 
they have some great online courses. I recommend that. Fantastic. Yeah, that will. Um, let me drop this down for the show notes for anyone who's interested. Awesome. All right. Is there anything else that um, off the top of your head that you'd like to talk about as far as um, you know view related um, topics? Uh, no, I mean I like I have been using Vue for about a year and a half, and I still yeah. feel like a beginner, and that's not like a bad thing on Vue at all. I just like feel like um, I love it. I'm still learning. Yeah. I'm still exploring, and it's it's still fun, which is I think a good sign for a framework that it continues to be fun. Yeah, you don't get aggravated with it. <laughs> <laughs> like oh no, I can I build a new application? No, no, I I love it. Uh, like I found nothing I don't like yet i'm not saying it's perfect i, I sure. definitely i'm sure there's bugs but nothing has made me angry yet, <laughs> yet. <laughs> well that is great if anything does make you any angry be sure to reach out to us we will do yes. our best to massage those concerns no no i'll make a complaint on twitter that's that's how you fix there it you go. right that's yeah. everyone fixes things easy. this episode is brought to you by triple byte applying to programming jobs sucks you have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take-home projects. And that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them. And if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com slash view. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through TripleByte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. I think we can start wrapping up and moving on sure. to... Yeah, Raymond, you want to get us started? Yeah, uh, so my first uh, pick, and not really a link per se, but uh, I'm an old school video gamer, uh, Nintendo, SNES, N64. Nice. Uh, I was firmly in that camp. I left Nintendo at like the Wii stage because, come on, Wii. <laughs> and like for a while, like they had this attitude of like, oh, we care about casual gamers. you know. And so I just got turned off by it. I got the Switch uh, about two months or so ago, and it is a okay. fine piece of hardware, like shockingly good. And uh, if, if, if you have too much time, and that's a problem, then <laughs> Diablo 3 on okay. Switch, uh, I played a lot on the PC. It's, a, it's great on handheld, shockingly really? good, actually, on handheld. And I'm really I, shocked to hear that. I'm at least 100 hours in, and I'll be done any day soon now i'm sure i'll stop playing i can stop playing whenever i want to i just don't want to stop playing that's really great so why did you tell me what's your main character in diablo 3 so my main was a sorceress uh but i, I got into the season with a good friend of mine and uh she's doing a necromancer and i'm doing a barbarian because i wanted to not think <laughs> just like one smash yeah. yeah we got in like towards the end of the season so i wanted something as simple as possible that's awesome. I will have to, yeah, I have a switch too. Definitely can second that. So good to know that's a good port on Diablo 3. Anyway, so go ahead and continue. Uh, sure. Uh, so the other pick was the uh, Code of Breakers newsletter. I definitely recommend it. Uh, and again, like my choices are awesome. Brian's are horrible. Just keep <laughs> and speaking of music, I was lucky enough to see a new artist uh, who is definitely like doing the tour around very small cities <laughs> to like get her name up 
uh, Adia Victoria. Amazing, like shockingly good. You can find her on YouTube now. Alternative, soulful, jazz, just hard to, hard to pin down, but really, really, really darn good. And I think I'm very lucky. I think she'll be like a huge name in a couple months. And I saw her in my little podunk town. And <laughs> I was like 10 feet away from her. I got to actually wow. uh, meet her at like a, uh, at a music set- session as well and get a selfie with her. So I'm kind of famous now, I think. <laughs> That's the way that works. Oh, that's pretty good. You gotta, you gotta put it on Instagram, though. You gotta put it on the Instagrams. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Uh, so, as far as my picks for the week, um, again, I had the second uh, Raymond's pick for the Switch. It's really they did a phenomenal job with that device. Lately, I've been playing a sort of a more classic game, uh, Puyo Puyo Tetris. <laughs> so, um, any Tetris masters out there who want to do a bit more competitive Tetris, I'm always up for a good game of that. And then. As far as my other pick, uh, Netflix recently released a show called Street Foods. And so for those who love watching TV shows about um, food, uh, it's a great one because they basically do a little tour around Asia and basically talking about like street food vendors. And um, the basic format is they sort of feature a single street food vendor that sort of made their name for a certain like, type of food they did. And um, it's just really fascinating to learn about the culture um, and as well as just the kind of lifestyle that street food vendors live. Um, very, very different from restaurants that we normally see. Oh, yeah. I've been to uh, China a few times and like some of the best meals of my life have been in China. <laughs> that is pretty great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I still need to, I still haven't been to China yet. I need to make that a priority. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. It's a long ass flight. So <laughs> I am going to Taiwan though in a couple of weeks. So cool. I mean, this will be, this will be past when the episode's published. I'll let, the, I'll let you know what I find over there. Cool. All right. Anything else you want to talk about before we close up? Actually, since you mentioned China, I will totally share a personal thing. Um, yes, please. My, my children are all adopted from Asia, and I'm very much pro-adoption. And if anybody has any questions about adoption, especially international adoption, um, my DMs are open, and you're welcome to ask me personal stuff. I will tell you if, <laughs> if I don't want to answer. <laughs> um, and technical questions as well. I keep my DMs open. I'm very, very eager to help people learn. So just ask me anything. Fantastic. All right. And with that, uh, that's it for this episode of Views on View. Thank you for joining us. Until next week, enjoy the view. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.